Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go, alongside David. David, how are you doing today? Pretty good. It's uh, been a pretty good week for uh, overall the sports world in Wisconsin. Of course, uh, Brewers taking care of business and the Bucks. They've turned around the series. I'm sure most of you are uh, following, at least to some degree, the Nets Bucks series. Um, and the, the Bucks uh, now tied two all in that series. Great wins both on, uh, was that Wednesday, I think, or, or Thursday and then Sunday um, as we're recording this today. Um, so that was exciting as a Bucks fan. Also, uh, doing doing better, I have to say, after after those wins by the Bucks. Yeah, certainly after those first two games, I was definitely worried the the Bucks might see an early exit here. But seeing the way they performed in Game Three, especially, but also Game Four, uh, even though the Brooklyn Nets were without Harden and then eventually Kyrie Irving for at least the second half of that game, still exciting to see what the Bucks were able to turn around. And I, I do think winner of Game Five is likely going to take the series. Of course, with that game happening in Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn's probably favored in that game, but if the Bucks can steal Game Five, I am confident for the Bucks to pull off the uh, the famous Bucks in Six. So certainly we'll be rooting for that on Tuesday. Yeah, and Kyrie also being out uh, possibly for later in the series too. Uh, rolled his ankle pretty badly. Uh, did not look good. Harden, you don't know if he's going to be back. You don't know if he's going to be himself. Uh, I know they said. Um, they said he's progressing well now that they're tied to all in the series, um, which is kind of what we expected. Um, but just wanted to touch base a little bit on on the uh, the Bucks since they're uh, playing really well right now. And if they are able to win the series, I think they are the favorites to win the NBA Finals. And that would really be something. It'd be the first uh, first major professional sports championship in Milwaukee and since the Bucks won back in '71. Um, so 50 years and uh, Brewers or Bucks, neither of them have won a championship. Uh, so that'd be huge for the city. Hopefully they're able to pull out, I mean, one game at a time, especially against an opponent like Brooklyn, but still exciting to see. And hopefully they are able to um, take away a couple of wins from Brooklyn. I uh, wanted to go yeah. straight into the trivia question today. Um, it's another one about the Brewers pitching, which has been kind of the story of the year. Uh, starting pitching has been outstanding. Uh, we've talked about that a lot, but um, yet another stat uh, regarding the Brewers pitching. It's a trivia question. Which Brewer starting pitcher currently leads the major leagues in fewest hits allowed per nine innings on average? So that's going to be uh, any hits allowed on average per nine innings. Um, so I think the number is around four hits per nine inning, which, which is really, really low. Um, and it's one of the Brewers starting pitchers. Um, of course, it's going to be one of Woodruff, Burns, or Peralta. Um, and so we'll answer that at the end of the, the episode. We'll see if Peter is uh, able to figure that one out. He does only have three options, so I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better about his chances today. Um, but still, I, I mean, it's pretty tough because it really could be any of those three. Yeah, they've all been so good this year. Um, I will have to give that some thought as we progress the episode because you could really make a case for any of those, those three guys. So moving on towards our random player of the day, who's our random player of the day today, David? 
Today's random player of the day is a recent former Brewer, Drew Rasmussen. Um, we saw him earlier in the year with the Brewers 4-2-4 ERA across 17 innings through 32 and a third innings in his Brewers tenure uh, that spanned just two years. Uh, and he has an ERA about five. He's actually pitched really well in AAA with the, the Rays over at the Durham Bulls um, in the uh, now named AAA East. Uh, but he has not allowed a run yet in nine innings pitched. Um, he's struck out. I think 18 batters across the nine innings, which is excellent. Walk just two. Um, so he's been really good there. Uh, the Rays probably will bring him up, give him a, a call up at some point during the summer, but they do have a really deep pitching staff. JP Fireisen also has been excellent with the Rays. I think he's allowed just one earned run in about 10 or 11 innings. Uh, so that's been nice to see. I mean, you always hope for those guys to do well uh, in other leagues, especially guys like Fireisen who have been kind of bouncing around around organizations across the minor leagues, uh, D3 kid coming from UW-Stevens Point. So it's nice to see someone like him be successful, even if it is in another uniform, especially, I think, given the fact that that trade has been so successful for the Brewers so far. Um, Brewers are 17-4 and four since making that trade. Adamus has been outstanding. Uh, he's been excellent. And even Richards has been really good. He had a huge outing. Uh, I think it was Saturday. Came in relief for Corbin Burns, a rare Corbin Burns uh Kind of, kind of a weak start, uh, not quite the start that he wanted. Richards came in relief, bases loaded, nobody out in the fifth, and he struck out the side. Uh, that was really a terrific performance. Could not ask for anything more out of a relief pitcher. Um, and you bring in somebody who hasn't really proven himself yet uh, with the Brewers organization, and he's able to do that out of the pen. Excellent to see. That was a big moment. Um, and so the Brewers have really been successful since that trade. Yeah. Speaking to, of course, Richards, that's been his biggest moment in a Brewers uniform thus far. But Willie Adames, like you said, it's it's hard to exactly measure the impact he has had because certainly he's had an impact on the field. But it also sounds like he's had an impact off the field, both in the dugout and the clubhouse. Seems to be a guy that is very easy to get along with, brings a lot of energy. Um, in some ways, actually, ironically, seems a little bit Orlando Arcia-esque as far as kind of that young energy that he seems to bring. And it seems like the Brewers players are getting along well with him and have enjoyed that extra spark that he's provided. So I think there's been both both value that he's added on the field as well as off the field. And like you said, the numbers don't lie as far as his production goes. And that 17-4 and four record that the Brewers have been on uh, really been the hottest team in baseball over the last month. And a lot of it, I think, could be um, because of the trade bring in Adames and Richards uh, about a couple weeks ago. So certainly, like you said, he's made a big impact. Another very strong week for the Brewers. They, they started this, the series, excuse me, they started the week off against the Reds, took two out of three, and then finished the series uh, with a series sweep of the Pirates. Um, offense looked very solid over the week. Pitching was good as always. Uh, David, what were your initial thoughts from that uh, series win against Cincinnati? I thought it was a great series. Uh, again, good pitching, good offense, actually, which I don't know if I'd say it was so surprising. The offense has really been picking it up more as of late, which has been great to see. Uh, the, the the pitching, of course, we, we've known for a while that the Brewers have a good staff. Um, but then seeing the offense score five runs on Tuesday, um, came back and uh, they did lose on Wednesday, but they still scored three runs. And then Thursday, we're able to grab a win by uh, scoring seven runs. Um, so that's really been better than the offense has been for a while. I think Yelich picking it up has been, I mean, really everything you could have asked for out of the offense 
like Yelich has kind of carried them almost. Um, he he and Adamus, I'd say Adamus is more of the spark plug that kind of kickstarted the offense a little bit when he got here, um, and he's been really good. And then Yelich coming back, kind of returning to form gradually, and now we're we're kind of seeing the old Yelich again. Now it really feels like okay, the Brewers' offense is back. It's not like they have a, an outstanding offense, amazing offense, uh, but they do have a good offense, um, at least right now. And I think they're continuing to improve a little bit. That was the biggest takeaway I had um, out of that series in Cincinnati. Yeah, you mentioned Yelich swinging the bat well. Obviously, El Garcia has continued to swing the bat well, uh, much improved this year compared to last year for him. Uh, pretty, hitting a, a pretty big home run in the finale here on Sunday as well to secure that Brewers win. Um, but like you said, just more consistency across the offense. Of course, it doesn't hurt to add Christian Yelich. Um, we failed to mention yet that uh, Travis Shaw, of course, will be out until August. So that also impacts the offense um, with that shoulder injury. So probably going to see more of <clears throat> Pablo Reyes, uh, Luis Urias filling in over at third base for Shaw. And that is a that is a decline in offense. I know Shaw hasn't had a great year, but that is still a step down. How do you see the Brewers uh, making up for Travis Shaw's bat as well as his glove at third base? I think really the answer is going to be an external acquisition uh, in uh, the form of a trade. Um, I, I think you kind of have to do that at some point this summer uh, to address the the kind of the glaring need at the corner infield spots. First base, haven't had much production. Vogelbach's been a little bit better lately. I mean, he does have a 346 on base percentage. At least he's getting on base, but he doesn't really provide much power right now or he ha hasn't really at least this year. And then defensively, he doesn't provide anything and of course not a base ceiling threat at all here has been terrible they sent him back to triple a interesting move i know we talked about this last week a little bit uh, but I, I do think it was the right move uh, to maybe give him a little bit more consistent time in triple a i think having him there for not just a week but give him three weeks or so to kind of work things out gain some confidence and then bring him back when you really think that he's ready and maybe he's made some more adjustments um, that would be the time to bring him back. Uh, so that's something the Brewers did also option Hira. Um, I don't think there are really big options uh, at the minor leagues. They have Zach Green, who has, I think, belted about seven home runs in AAA the first month and a half of, of minor league action. But he has a strikeout rate around 35%, which is very high. Weston Wilson, another guy who's performed reasonably well. I don't think he's really a solution at triple, or excuse me, at third base. So I think in the meantime, we are going to see a lot of Jace Peterson and Tim Lopes now was, was activated. Um, we, we've, we've seen Urias at third a lot, and we will see him more, especially I think once Colton Wong comes back. Uh, he's not a bad option at third, especially his bats picked up a little bit. Urias actually um, does have w one of the better performances so far this year. Um, look at his line. I know he's hitting 225, but he's been fine. He's shown some power, gotten on base decently, and he's solid defensively, especially at third. Um, so I think those are kind of the options. I know it's not really the options you want. Um, not like you have great options to back up Shaw, but there are some, and the Brewers will kind of have to get by with them uh, until they're hopefully able to acquire a third baseman via trade. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, you know, the Brewers have their players, have their available pool, and you make do or you make a move. So certainly we'll see 
what the Brewers end up deciding. Good news, of course, with Shaw is that he will return or likely return in August. So it's not out for the year, but that still is a good chunk of time where the Brewers need to make sure that they're continuing to compete in the NL Central and staying near the top of that. Um, kind of a, a little bit of a side tangent. I know we didn't plan on speaking on this today, but just taking a look at the Brewers games this week and the lineup construction that they've had, I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what the Brewers have done. And I know Craig Council, sort of notorious, uh, or maybe not Craig Council, but the, the, the talks about uh, lineup construction and um, maybe the lack of importance and over uh, importance that fans and analysts put on it. But what do you think about the Brewers lineup construction? Um, it seems like the Brewers are, for the most part, sticking with uh, Luis Urias leading off with uh, Vogelbach in the two spot, Yelich batting third, Garcia fourth, Narvaez hitting fifth, and Adames in the sixth hole. And again, that's assuming uh, Garcia is in the lineup, Narvaez is in the lineup. Um, but what do you think about that top five or top six, excuse me, um, as far as the lineup construction goes and how do you see that going forward? Well, I think that'll be affected for sure when Colton Wong comes back, which hopefully will be in about a week or two. Um, probably not this week, but maybe next week. Um, he'll slide back into that leadoff role. I'm okay with Urias being the leadoff hitter. Uh, I don't really see great options right now with Kane also on the injured list. Um, Narvaez, I think, should be hitting a little bit higher in the lineup. I'd prefer to have him in the, the two spot. Uh, over Yelich, or maybe even the four if you want him to protect Yelich. Um, having Adames up there would be pretty helpful too. I think it makes sense to kind of break up, um, make sure you don't have two or three, more like three lefties hitting in a row. Um, so that's why I think you go probably something along the lines of Urias, Narvaez, Yelich, and then um, Adames or Vogelbach or um, someone like that. I I'd prefer to see Adamas hitting a little bit higher. I don't really like seeing Daniel Vogelbach all the way at the, the top of the lineup. But at the same time, I mean, he does have, uh, like I said, one of the better on-base percentages. And although he's not a, a speed threat on the bases, having him on base still for guys like Yelich um, or, or previously Travis Shaw to drive in is still valuable. And you still need those high on-base guys at the top of the lineup. Yeah, on Saturday, they went with, Adames in that four spot behind Yelich, which is kind of interesting. Not really sure that I did wouldn't be a huge fan of a lineup like this. I know Jace Peterson is not going to be starting every day, but they opted for Jace Peterson to lead off with Vogelback, Yelich, Adames, Narvaez, Robertson, and then Bradley and Reyes. Um, I'm not really sure why you necessarily put Jace Peterson um, at the top of the order there. And then with Adames in the four spot and Narvaez in the five, doesn't exactly make a ton of sense to me. I'd rather have seen Adames, Vogelback, Yelich, Narvaez, and Peterson more at the bottom of the lineup, especially because Jace Peterson, also another left-handed hitter, just seems like doesn't really make sense to have him in the leadoff role when you could be putting a guy like Adames there. Yeah, I would I would certainly agree with that. Um, I Personally, I mean, I know you mentioned Jace Peterson. Don't really want to see him at the top of the lineup. I would prefer if he's not in the bottom of the lineup either. I'll just maybe keep him on the bench. Um, and get some other guys some playing time. Tim Lopes is back. I'd much rather see him. Much rather have them call up somebody else even than see more of Jace Peterson. I feel like we've seen enough of him that we don't really need to see more. <laughs> um, but, I mean, good for Jace Peterson for carving out the big league career he has so far. And uh, I, I do think that, that, of course, at least the Brewers do have some depth where it's not like Peterson is a terrible player. Um, he's just not necessarily a guy you want to turn to on a regular basis. 
another acquisition the Brewers made, or maybe not another, but um, an acquisition they made. We talked about the possibility of acquiring a third baseman, but a move that they did make after the Shaw injury, probably unrelated, was acquiring Hunter Strickland. Um, I think it was from the Angels. I know he's bounced around this year. And just for some cash considerations, he has an ERA of around five, um, or, or I think in the four to five range, something like that. He's been he's been okay. He hasn't been that good. Um, I feel like Hunter Strickland is one of the the most well known, like bad relievers in uh in among the baseball world. Um, you've got the time where he he came up. Well, he came up in the middle of the Giants run. Uh, those three straight World Series. I think he came up towards the end of that, maybe 14 or maybe just after in 15. And then, um, of course, he he allowed the two home runs to, to Bryce Harper in the playoffs. And then he, of course, notoriously threw at Bryce Harper, started the fight. He also missed a lot of time because he punched a wall when he was upset after he allowed like a go-ahead home run. So I feel like Hunter Strickland's in the spotlight more than uh, more than most relievers that are constantly on the waiver wire. Uh, but Brewers picking up a, an arm that could prove to be valuable, especially with a bullpen that's been a little bit thinned out uh, with the loss of both Rasmussen and Fire Eisen. Yeah, I think Hunter Strickland can add some value for the Brewers. Um, definitely not in the lockdown reliever role, but more so in a potentially cater pitching in all three games against the Pirates. Picking up three saves across the series, now up to 17 saves on the year. Uh, but the likes of Devin Williams, Brad Boxberger, and Brent Suter, some of those top Brewers bullpen arms, have been used a lot more recently. And with that, it is good to add some some depth and some arms outside of what's already in the bullpen. Give the Brewers more options if they need, especially if they go into an extra inning game um, in the next couple of games, could also provide some value. So again, not necessarily going to be a lockdown reliever, but potentially an innings eater in the bullpen. And certainly, like you said, right when, right when the news broke of the Brewers acquiring Hunter Strickland, I don't know if that's a breaking news, but uh, as soon as we heard of the news, uh, you and I were talking right away about his past with, with Bryce Harper and kind of an infamous player, I guess you could say, um, does sort of make more noise than your average uh, middle reliever who bounces from team to team. So kind of an interesting arm, but I think it's uh, it's probable that, that he will make an appearance for the Brewers this year in, in sort of an, an innings eater role. So as we wrap up here today, the Reds and the Pirates, they see themselves now at the top of the NL Central. Uh, Cubs still playing tonight here, Sunday night, as we record this. But the Brewers sitting at 38 and 27, a half game against half game up against the Cubs, five games ahead of the Reds, five and a half uh, in front of the Cardinals. So Brewers giving themselves a nice, solid lead in front of the Cardinals, which is very important as the Brewers play weaker teams this year, or excuse me, this month. They've had, uh, I believe it was a 28-game stretch that they're going to have uh, by the end of it here of, of playing under 500 teams. So that's dating back to the national uh, 28 straight games against below 500 teams. And like I said, that ends uh, June 28th against the Cubs. Perhaps that'll change, but at this point, 28 straight, which is pretty surprising that you have that stretch in your schedule, but it also means you really have to take care of business during that time. The Brewers just need to continue taking care of business, building up that lead against Cardinals, now up to five and a half games. But that really is important as they play weaker teams. Later in the year, we're going to see the Cardinals more, Dodgers, we're going to see better teams. And so, like I said, it's important that the Brewers take care of business and build up a lead because uh, they are going to need that, uh, as likely they will regress playing better teams. So as we wrap up here, David, uh, 
news came out recently of MLB cracking down on illegal substance, uh, saying that pitchers found using it will be suspended a minimum of 10 games. What are your thoughts on this as this news that uh, has been controversial so far? Well, I think it's good. We've seen too many strikeouts, and there's a pretty strong correlation between swing and miss rates and spin rates. Spin rates are what is going to be primarily affected by using substances like pine tar, like spider tack, uh, which has been more in the like kind of in the news lately because people were saying now this is the the stickiest one, um, which I know it is very very sticky and can help get really really high spin rates, um, but. One development that I don't know if I'd say we need to jump to conclusions now, but it is something that really you have to kind of monitor. We will be monitoring it, see if it continues. Um, you look at Corbin Burns' averages in spin rate over the course of the year, and of course he's been excellent all year long. He's al- he's also got excellent command, which most of that is not because of his, his use maybe of foreign substances, possibly. We, we're not saying he definitively does use foreign substance. But something to notice on Saturday, he had his worst start of the year, and he he faced the Pirates. His cutter, his average spin rate for the year, 2841 RPMs. That was down by 213 RPMs to 2628. The curveball spin rate plummeted down 123 RPMs on average. The changeup down 140 RPMs. The slider down 206 RPMs. The sinker down 162 RPMs. These aren't small numbers that we're talking about in a decrease in, in spin rate. And usually the only differences that are going to happen in spin rate are going to be um, maybe the grip you get on the ball. And that's usually either because of a foreign substance or it's because of the conditions. It's not like it was rainy or anything like that at Miller Park uh, or excuse me, American Family Field. Um, so this is something to monitor. It's possible that Corbin Burns has been using substances like these, uh, like pine tar, like spider tack, other ones maybe, um, and that has been benefiting him throughout the year. But now without the use of those substances, we're going to see his his spin rates and maybe his performance plummet a little bit. Um, I don't know if we can just jump to a conclusion now, but I think it's something to monitor. Yeah, I agree. I think give it another start or two to see how the RPMs go, how his starts go. But it's a very interesting uh, idea and thought conspiracy maybe that you bring up. Um, you know, I think the next couple starts may be telling for him on whether that was the case, is the case, what Corbin Burns will look like going forward. It's definitely not the time to hit the panic button by any means. I don't think all of a sudden we're going to see Corbin Burns drop off the map. But it is interesting to see, will his performance continue? Uh, will we see those RPM numbers down? Was it just, you know, not his day, wasn't feeling the best, whatever that, that may be. It could be just a one-off thing and maybe we're reading into it too much, but I think the next couple of starts, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the next couple of starts will be worthwhile to look at, A, how he performs, and B, also what the RPMs look like, and certainly could be um, a reason for that. So it, it is a very interesting idea that you bring up. And then before we go, just want to go over our trivia question again, see if Peter has uh, an answer to this one and see if he's maybe figured it out. Um, a reminder of the question is, which Brewers pitcher leads the major leagues in fewest hits allowed on average per nine innings? Um, and that's going to be one of the Brewers pitchers, Woodruff, Burns, or Peralta, um, leads the major leagues in fewest hits allowed per nine innings on average. Which Brewers pitcher do you think that one is, Peter? You know, I think Corbin Burns, excuse me, I think Brandon Woodruff is, is sort of the obvious pick here. And for that reason, uh, I think you 
I think that is the incorrect answer. So I'm going to go with good old fastball Freddy. Not so much fastball Freddy anymore, but Freddy Peralta is my pick for the trivia question today. That is correct. Freddy Peralta uh, hits per nine of right around four, which is uh, which is outstanding. I mean, you, you never really see that. Um, I don't. I, I guess I couldn't find the leaderboard. I only saw that he was the leader. Um, but four. I mean, that's like. I don't know the last time we saw somebody have hits per nine that low over the course of the season. I'm not expecting him to keep it up quite to that level, but um, even just that fact alone is is outstanding. Woodruff allows a few more hits, um, but fewer walks. And Corbin Burns, even more hits, but also fewer walks. Uh, so that's why they allow more hits. Peralta walks more batters, um, which, I mean, when you only allow four hits per nine innings, you can kind of get away with that. Um, and he's been excellent. Uh, just another stat. He also has probably benefited from only 18.8% uh, of batted balls that have been against him have dropped for a hit. I think the league average is around 28, 29%, also known as batting average on balls in play. So 188 for Peralta. Average is usually around 280 to 300. Uh, so he's benefited from that. Part of that has been because of luck and because of good defense also. So hopefully the Brewers are able to, to uh, be successful again against some of the weaker teams playing the Reds, who are around 500, uh, but then going to Colorado to place a, a pretty weak Colorado Rockies ball club. Hopefully Brewers able to uh, take a couple wins over there, play a four-game set, so maybe take three out of four. They've been very successful against the weaker teams lately, so hopefully they can continue that run, continue to build that lead against Chicago, against St. Louis, um, before they go to a little bit of a tougher schedule next month in July. That's going to do it for us today, though, on the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Thank you again for listening. We really appreciate all you guys who listen regularly, um, and we enjoy doing this. If you'd like to support us financially so we are able to continue to do this, be sure to check out the link in our in our episode notes. It'll be right there, um, and you can choose if you'd like to support us. Um, and go to our social media page, at Brewers Podcast on TikTok or on Twitter. Twitter's where we're a little bit more active, um, and, and we can interact there. Hopefully the Brewers are able to get a few wins this week. And as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there and interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.